I think that the best way to approach education isn't like find out your passion and do this. Like just be curious, follow your curiosity because it always kind of knows what you need because it's subconsciously, you, you know, your mind is processing information and saying, um, these are the things you like doing from your job, from your previous experience. And these are the things that skills that you, you're good at that you, you want to develop further but it doesn't kind of rise to your conscious mind yet. So when you're learning and just simply following your curiosity, you will discover um, a lot of things that, you know, you know, th things that you're good at, things that you're bad at, like this things that you normally can't really put your finger on or articulate really well, like you'll, you'll kind of get a better sense of that. Coming up is one of the most educated future executives and disruptors I've had the privilege to speak with. Jennifer Hong has both a bachelor's and a master's from New York University, aka NYU, and also executive education from top universities, MIT and UVA. This coder, GTM specialist, ex-chief of staff, and ex-Uber manager is seeking out to add something to travel that is truly missing. Frankly, it was incredibly entertaining learning about how Jennifer went from Orange County to an international school in South Korea with 140 nationalities and being the bane to many teachers, but at the same time challenging them in ways they needed so not only she could receive the education she deserved, but also the education that all the students actually deserve. Her refreshing attitude about how you should approach education is one you won't want to miss. Take some time out of your day and listen to Jennifer. I'm so glad I did. Thanks, Jen, for joining us here on uh, Educate. As I told the, the audience, you were, you know, you're talking about some really cool things about your own background. And so we are so lucky to have you here today. So thank you again for joining us on the show. Yeah, thank you. Uh, good to be on a podcast for the, for the first time. <laughs> I'm surprised you, you have such a great background. So tell us, tell us a little bit. I mean, the stuff that I already found out, but uh, you know, what are you doing today? Yeah. So um, right now I, I'm working as a go-to-market consultant for a design agency based in the UK um, because it's kind of a small startup, um, you know, I'm more than a consultant. Like I help them with sometimes, you know, sales operations, sales pitches, kind of acting as a product manager for their new platform. So really interesting role. Um, and um, also uh, as my second job, uh, working on my own startup called Levanter. It's a travel tech uh, company um, and kind of going through an accelerator. So just kind of a lot of, lot to do, a lot to do there. So basically just having, two jobs. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. Um, what, what, what made you jump into the startup world and, and, and start your own little, little project there? It, it was the autonomy initially, obviously that's what's really attractive about the, the, the startup life, right? Um, not really having a, a boss, uh, or be bound by, you know, corporate hierarchies and, and bureaucracies. But, what really, really came down to wasn't like what I was looking for in my career. It was, there was a problem that I wanted to solve and 
because I couldn't find the right solution in the market, I wanted to build it. So that was my initial motivation. Um, and once kind of that turned in into, um, okay, like let's start a company and actually make this real, make this scalable, um, you know, had also, you know, have passion for um, org design, how to make employee experiences a little bit more meaningful. Um, a lot of the kind of things that I thought about, you know, throughout my, my career. So I wanted to bring that into how I designed the org, how we set up the, the culture at the company. So it becomes um, a place where um, employees uh, look at as a great point of a turning point in their career that right. they learn something really new. I don't necessarily believe, um, random side rant is a, I don't necessarily believe that the goal is employee retention. I think that's an antiquated mindset. Um, because you, you know, people leave, there's no way you can get all you need and all, you know, all your knowledge from one place. Uh, you know, so people who stay in the same place for 20 years necessarily, it doesn't mean they're actually more knowledgeable than somebody who jumped around a lot. Right. So, uh, there's a benefit to, to kind of, constantly kind of adapting to change and being in different environments so that, um, so, you know, one of the key kind of principles there was to create an environment where they are, we support the employees in their journey, not to tie them to our organization. Wow. That's a cool concept. Uh, I actually agree with that. You know, the old, like, I think you're talking about like, you know, the 20 year, 30 year career, you know, uh, a company, wh whatever the term is, where they stay with one company, you know, for their entire life, right? They're lifers we have the ability to do what Elon Musk does, right? I mean, Elon Musk runs like several different organizations at once and, and people are looking at him all, at all the time and we're, we're like, you know, how does one person do this? No, I think a lot of us have that capability, right? I mean, don't, don't you agree? Yeah, yeah, I, I think we do. It's just kind of uh, only a few people were brave enough to kind of fight against the system. Um, uh, to actually pursue that path. But yeah, I, I do believe a lot of us have that potential. Yeah. Well, I mean, here in COVID <laughs> 2020, I think yeah. it, it's starting to be realistic. And I think people are doing it because you have this ability to, to kind of do it, right? Because yeah. while you're doing, like you said, you, you're doing this other project, or you're working, you know, uh, simultaneously, you can do uh, another project. And, and they're, they're not going to judge you, right? Because they're not, you're not in their face all the time. So, and they have no idea, but you know, um, I was joking to another uh, startup founder um, the other day when we were talking about his uh, digital marketing and both of us said that we had figured out our job, like, you know, so well that you don't do the typical, you know, nine to five, you know, yeah, we'll work, you know, late at night, you know, for a few hours or early in the morning and stuff like that. But, but this flexibility in this COVID environment has actually bred this kind of, kind of activity, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely. I think uh, the traditional nine to five is starting to, people are starting to question that model for sure. Um, and, and because we're kind of cooped up, you need a little bit more excitement I think people started kind of pursuing different um, different ways to to stay motivated, stay um, stay sane. To be honest, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, definitely the the restlessness has contributed to I think a movement towards like you know investment in their own education. So Jen, tell us a little bit about your education, if you don't mind. I saw that you went to was it Stern and you went to NYU, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes, bachelor's and master's. 
Okay, so so tell us uh, um, a little bit about maybe your path all the way up to NYU. And uh, I'm kind of curious because I mean, we're, we're similar in diaspora. We're both Korean American and, and you know, we probably have the, not tiger mom. I don't know if maybe we did, maybe you had a tiger mom. My mom wasn't as, as tiger mom-ish, but she definitely pushed me pretty hard. Um, and my dad always had high expectations. Yeah, uh, so I think, you know, a lot of my educational decisions uh, were based on like resume builders. So like even starting with in high school, like I was a, a typical overachiever. I was, you know, debate club, Mu Alpha Theta, Model United Nations, cheerleading, because uh, you have to play sports to be well-rounded as a student. So it basically focuses college application, right? And uh, in college, you know, finance and business, when I wasn't really, sh I wasn't really sure exactly what I wanted to do and how, how does a 17 year old really know what she wants to do for the rest of her life, right? I think that's a little bit almost crazy and unrealistic to ask a 17 year old to make that choice. And you know, up until recently, it was very, you know, what you major in almost kind of determined the, you know, your career path because it was so easy to get pigeonholed and switching careers wasn't as easy. It was very challenging. So uh, once I kind of got into finance, um, you know, my dad was, you know, thought, you know, if you want to get in business, you know, do banking. And as a 17 year old, I don't really understand the difference. So that's what I did and hated it. Uh, got into accounting, didn't like it. Um, and, but just kind of thought that gives me some some strength as a, as a worker, but I'm going to get into strategy. Um, and then kind of, you know, but still like until I was like probably like 24, I was still making a lot of decisions based on what I thought would be great resume builders. You know, how would, the, how would this look to my future employers? You know, how would this look to, you know, these types of people? And, um, you know, obviously the natural, so, so because I was kind of constantly thinking like that, you know, I was considering going to get my MBA or get my PhD and, I mean, and, and I actually enjoy learning, but just, like, just the thought of just going to a program for like two years just kind of exhausted me. And <laughs> I actually said, no, I'm not going to do that. There's so many things I'm curious about. And I just want to like learn for the sake of learning instead of like thinking like, how would this, you know, promote my profile? So um, actually started just taking a bunch of random courses and um, you know, blockchain, uh, you know, learn how to code, data analytics, um, painting, um, and, and different things, just because um, that way I'm becoming actually genuinely well-rounded in the way that I want, right? Not because I want, that's not, you know, not because that's how I want to be perceived. Um, so I started kind of doing that and it was amazing, you know, how much I enjoyed that as also like how much that benefited my career path, even though at the time, a lot of the things that I was learning had nothing to do with what I was doing. Mm. Um, and yeah, and, you know, I think you mentioned like the Korean American background. Uh, to be honest, I was so extra about my own education that <laughs> my parents like had, like there's no additional limit for them to push me towards. Like they were just kind of like, you got to chill. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, so I don't like I don't know what they're like, but apparently my, to my brother, um, he sometimes kind of complained about it. Uh, but they, you know, they are not typical, if anything, like Asian parents. They push you. They have high expectations, but you know they're still very supportive. Um, and you know, my mom, my my parents are both overachievers. So like, 
I, I think just grew up putting a lot of pressure on myself because my mom used to be, I mean, they, they grew up in Korea and then they moved to Seattle and that's where I was born. And, you know, they both, you know, both went to literally number one, number two, you know, colleges in, in, in Korea. Uh, my mom was like, I think the number one, because they ranked the students per state or province or whatever. My mom was always number one or number two, um, super, you know, overachievers. And, you know, I kind of grew up like, you know, like knowing that everybody being like, oh, you're like their daughter, you, you know, you must be incredibly intelligent. So I think subconsciously, you know, I always thought like, I need to live up to that and make sure I don't fail. Uh, and, um, and my parents kind of knew that. So they, they tried to actually like help me relax a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but you know, like whatever I wanted, they will do whatever it took to, to accommodate. So I'll be like, hey, I'm not good at this. Can you, I, I need a tutor. So it was always me asking them, like, I need this. Can you procure this for me? Uh, and then they'll kind of go ahead and do that. that that's so fascinating um, hearing you that or hearing that from you because, um, so I know this gentleman who helped take over a company that I used to help with digital marketing. Well, this company was sold for 500 million and then his company bought the company, it's a Korean company, um, for 800 million, around 800 million is what they acquired the company at. Well, this gentleman, um, I won't mention his name, but he graduated from KAIST. His wife graduated from KAIST. And as you probably know, it's, you know, it's, a, it's like their MIT in South Korea, right? Yeah. So these guys are brilliant. These two are incredible, incredibly smart. And they were tasked to take over the company. So they moved to Seattle and uh, they, they took over the company. And I just met him because my, uh, friend helped them with their real estate and so uh we just kind of met in the elevator and then they're like you know you should get launched we did and we got to know him and he's he's incredibly brilliant he kind of sounds like you to a certain degree in some respects where he liked to dabble and so he actually went into uh i think the equity markets you know like in the actual uh, korean like kozdak or kozdak or whatever it's called and he went and became a trader for a little while just to kind of play with it to see what it was like he supposedly created the AWS of South Korea. So mm -hmm. like he, he, he's, he's literally a pioneer, but uh, this gentleman was so, so smart. But then I asked him the question, like I'm kind of asking you to a certain degree, but more related to his kids. And I said, so you're, you're a high achiever, obviously. So do you want your kids to do that? Like your parents did, you know, like basically they, they went to the best schools and, and, you know, they achieved all the time, but I asked them, so, uh, you know, do you want your kids to be that way? And he goes, no, I just want them to kind of enjoy themselves. I don't want them to go to any intense programs. Um, and both his wife and him actually agree. And they're both that, that like your mom and dad, you know what I mean? So like, I think he's similar to your mom and dad, like in, in the way that he's probably telling his kid chill, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but but his kids probably don't feel so chill you know because like parents like that like you're there's a lot of pressure yeah yeah, yeah. so no hear, hearing it from you now i'm like yeah. wondering if if that dynamic is occurring because i mean the funny thing is he's living in mercer island and yeah. mercer island is full of i won't say which diaspora but is full of people who succeed right because it's yeah. the best location or one of the best locations in the seattle area so he, th their kids are competing against those other kids right yeah. and so they're going to probably feel the same way that you did and yeah. so yeah i mean no i really appreciate what you just said because now i'm kind of thinking uh his kids <laughs> are going to do what you did <laughs> 
either that or they rebel. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, but he, he was talking about how I think that he's letting them do robotics of some sorts or, you know, just kind of yeah. experimenting with certain things. Again, kind of you know, similar to what you were talking about, like, you know, touching blockchain or, or maybe doing art uh, yeah. of some sort just to kind of enjoy. Well, let me ask you about that, though. Um, do you feel like those classes where you finally pursued your passions, like, did you get more out of those classes? Um. I think, you know, for example, like blockchain, it's such a, like I was also like, I, I hear about it all the time. I don't know what it is. It was just curiosity. Like I wouldn't necessarily say, you know, uh, passion. Like I learned how to code because I was just curious and it's really satisfying to do something and see the result like right away, which is very rare, right? In most, most type of like, you know, job, you don't see the result right away. Like it takes time, right? So um, it was just, I think that the best way to approach education isn't like find out your passion and do this. Like just be curious and just learn and, and see what it is and just leave it at that. Like don't try to make, you know, make, turn it into this. Okay, well, what does this mean in terms of, you know, my career or what does this teach me? Just be curious. And I think once I kind of relaxed about it and I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just curious. What is this? You know, how do I get this done? Like, what does this do? Um, it started to, it taught me also more about myself, like strengths and weaknesses, as well as like things I like, I don't like, um, and helped me kind of shape, I guess, my vision. Um, you know, when it was happening, I, I didn't know that it was happening. So like one of my favorite quotes is from Steve Jobs that says, you know, uh, remember that like the dots, you cannot connect the dots looking forward, it only connects when you're looking backwards. So you gotta like trust in something like gut, you know, destiny, whatever. And I say curiosity, mm. like, you know, follow your heart in, a, in that way. Like it's, you know, and, and just follow your curiosity because it always kind of knows what you need. Cause it's subconsciously, you, you know, your mind is processing information and saying, um, these are the things you like doing from your job, from your previous experience. And these are the things that skills that you, you're good at that you, you want to develop further but it doesn't kind of rise to your conscious mind yet. So when you're learning and just simply following your curiosity, you will discover um, a lot of things that, you know, you know, things that you're good at, things that you're bad at, like this things that you normally can't really put your finger on or articulate really well, like you'll, you'll kind of get a better sense of that. So, yeah. I'm kind of curious if your high school actually let you do that curiosity thing that you just talked about. Did they, did they breed or, or create an environment that, that, that let you get to these answers or at least satiate this need? I mean, yes and no, like high schools are high schools. Like they're, you know, governed. Yeah. I mean, they're like their curriculums or whatever, like, there's not a lot of variations that they can introduce to their curriculum. So, uh, you know, I went to um, high school for two years in California, Orange County, and that's where I lived for a while when I was younger. And, and then I moved to um, Seoul uh, to, be with my, my, to be with my parents um, and went to an international school. Uh, for those of you who don't know what that is, it's basically for expats. So uh, most of my friends were, well, they had a separate school, international school for specifically for like American military kids on the base. And international schools are mostly, you know, American expats or uh, diplomats kids. So a lot of my friends are diplomats kids who move around every two years. Um, and 
And it was, it was kind of interesting because international schools, you know, uh, Cal, you know uh, Cal, the high school in California, there are a lot more classes and AP classes that you can choose from, you know, different types of school activities and things you can participate in. Uh, but it was just hard to figure out what exactly, like, you know, what exactly you could sign up for, what you qualify for. And obviously there's a little bit of, hey, you need to pass these standardized tests in order for you to qualify to, you know, be part of the, part of that elite group that gets to do, you know, X, Y, and Z. So, uh, you know, there were some limitations to that. And, <clears throat> you know, I think like, yeah, I was in like a few AP classes, and but other than that, you know, some clubs, but they're all pretty standard, right? But, but they're standard for a reason because having standardized clubs or, you know, extracurricular activities allow schools to like compete, you know, engage, except like the model United Nations, like that exists everywhere. So that it gives opportunities for a lot of schools to kind of come together, right? Because mm -hmm. if school has like their own different programs, you, you don't really have a lot of reason to like engage with them, each other. So, I, I, you know, I think, yeah, so I think the, I, I, I'm pretty happy with the options that I had. The international school was really interesting because um, it is recognized by the uh, like American Education Board or Council, whatever they're called, but it's, it's uh, you know, there's, because it's harder for them to get, you know, teachers or, you know, something like that, in my opinion, like quality management was harder understandably so and they also <clears throat> had like limit like num like limitations on how many AP classes you could take so there was just like this restrictions that I found quite frustrating but there I mean but because you're kind of in this bubble with all these diplomats kids like our school had hun like 148 or 120 or something crazy like ethnicities so like a lot of people that you meet uh, from all these different countries at a very young age so you're mingling with them like you know obviously california is pretty diverse but not not 140 <laughs> ethnicities <laughs> mostly like i think our school was like 50 percent asians and like 20 percent white and then the rest uh like mixed but <clears throat> like 20 percent hispanic something like that and then so it was just like really I think that experience um, alone made it very unique because you're learning, you know, not just in class, but you're learning from your, your kind of interactions with your, your, your friends and students and, you know, things like that. So that really, uh, I, I think at the time I didn't realize the value of that, but looking back, um, just kind of the opportunity to, to be exposed to that kind of environment was a huge value. Um, one thing that I'm kind of curious because, you know, you're right. There's certain things that we can't change. The administrators and, and basically curricula, et cetera, is going to be set in stone. But one thing that sometimes does happen is you have pretty cool teachers. Um, you also have bad ones, <laughs> but, but, yeah. but you have some cool ones um, that frankly found a way within the system to impact their kids. Do you, do you recall any of yours that you can think back and, and, and tell us a little bit about what they did, maybe helped you get to maybe the next level? Obviously, they didn't necessarily do everything that, that got you to where you're at, but there's probably a few that, that, that tried a little, a little harder, right? Yeah, and I'm, I'm kind of like smiling because I was um, kind of a weird child, so uh, very studious, like, you know, care a lot about her academics, but I was very rebellious. So um, 
cause a lot, you know, I was a kind of a troublemaker. Uh, I called into the principal's office a lot. And <laughs> my parents came to come to the school and they're just so confused. Like this girl is like getting, you know, four point on GPA and she's a, you know, she would like fight the teachers and argue and just have like this attitude. And, um, and still like went out and like love going out and, you know, it's just high school thing like teenager stuff. And, and so, you know, I think most of the time, half the teachers either like loved me, absolute advocate, or like just absolutely hated me, couldn't stand it. <laughs> and just, you know, I think, yeah, so if you, the international school especially, I know that I'm pretty famous because after I graduated, like I went to uh, visit like two, eight years after, you know, I left and there was like a new principal and he was just like, he like came to see me, like he found out which floor I was like, you know. I was at at the time and just came to say hi and he was like hey like I've heard so much about you <laughs> like and I was just like yeah I'm sure I'm sure <laughs> you know um yeah there's just stories and my parents have to come to school quite often so, so it's you know and 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 there are like a couple teachers that I uh absolutely just changed my life in my opinion one of them was the headmaster at my international school he I mean, I don't, you know, he, I guess, saw some kind of potential in me and like always try to protect me every time I would just throw a, a, a tantrum and just get into this, like these crazy fights with teachers in his office and, and, and stuff like that. And he would always kind of actually spend time to coach me and mentor me. And, and uh, my parents like got him like a huge, like a gift towards the end. Cause like, I probably wouldn't, have been able to graduate if it wasn't for him. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, he 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 really kind of saw through um, beyond, I guess, that kind of um, angst and like things that I'm I'm assuming from the teacher's perspective quite annoying. If somebody acted like that towards me, I found annoying. And one of the things that I did was if I felt like the teacher was incompetent, like they didn't know their subject very well, or was you know things like that, I gave them. A lot of attitude so like that I always had issues with that like you're you're a teacher like you should kind of know your craft you know you should study the book before you start teaching it uh, <laughs> and and sometimes you know to be honest like there are people I'm just like you should not be a teacher you know you should, you're just, I have no idea what you're doing here you know and 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 uh I will like I will kind of uh be very vocal about it and and you know which could obviously some teachers absolutely hated that because it, it is disrespectful and but he kind of saw beyond that and through that and said, hey, I still see potential in her that she could be shaped into a better person. Uh, I think some an educator that kind of takes your side and you know, shows a student when, you know, some teachers are calling you all kinds of things and characterizing you as like this evil kid, you know, <laughs> like somebody kind of shows you that they have faith in you, not just in your, in, you know, intellect or anything like that, just in, you know, your potential to, to be somebody uh, a, you know, uh, somebody, a good person, a, a leadership, a, a type of leader that, and a role model, like somebody who kind of shows, you know, faith in you like that, I think had a huge impact on me and kind of humble me as I got older and more mature. Mm. And, um, you know, another teacher in California, Mr. Wigman, uh, he, he, you know, I, I, he was my English teacher and I actually love English literature. Just, I love British literature and uh you know like writing essays and to be honest when i was younger i was not very good at writing essays 
some reason. And he, but I, I, I kind of took, you know, he could tell that I was putting a lot of effort into it, was like learning and was very, you know, dedicated to kind of getting better. And when I was applying to like an AP English, you know, um, uh, to get into the AP English program or whatever the following year, I didn't make it. It was like they selected like 12 students out of 100 or something like that. And he actually put together all my writings into a portfolio and went to that teacher to plead with her to make an exception. Because he was just like, I know she can survive this class. I know she can thrive. I want her to be in that environment. And I'm, I was like no longer in his class, you know, because I was going from like freshman to sophomore. And just like somebody, somebody's passion, like to, and somebody, that level of investment that in, into your future was amazing. So, um, as much as sometimes I think about certain teachers in my life that I just, I just like, every time I think about it, I just either shiver or like roll my eyes. But, you know, teachers like that just, you know, had a huge impact, huge impact in my life. Oh, that, that's wonderful. Uh, what was your headmaster's name? Um, and Mr. Pino. Mr. Pino, how do you spell that? Yeah. P-I-N-N-O-W. Okay, cool. And do you know if he's still the headmaster at that school? No, he left. Um, yeah, he left. Okay. Yeah. No, um, I like hearing about wonderful people like that. And I, and I also like to just, uh, you know, echo, uh, um, you know, their names because I think there's a, a, a few in our life, if not a handful that I can think back, you know, in my own life too, that just, they're just warm hearted people. They weren't, they weren't there to get attention. They weren't there to win awards. They were there to teach us and help us and be better people. And so, um, you know, I call out a ton um, when I when I think about it, and and uh, uh, you know, it's 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 really just it's 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 so heartwarming. I don't I don't know how to describe it. It's just yeah, the right. resilience is amazing. Think right? about the kind of student. It's exhausting. Like you're talking, get people give you attitude, right? Kids are kids. They're like always trying to find loopholes, like trying to get away with shit stuff in class, and like the the fact that they're still able to love their students unconditionally and, and, and still invest their time, you know, knowing full well that there's not necessarily high ROI in their investment. There is no O or, or what is it? Yeah. R rather. There's no return. It's just, yeah. it's just, just I, you know, yeah. they have to invest their lives. And uh, I mean, to them, the, the R is, is, maybe you thank them later on a podcast or maybe, yeah. you know, or, or, yeah. or, or maybe, you know, you visit them at some point in life. I mean, I, I've actually went to try to find a couple of them, um, unfortunately, who, you know, like, I don't know if they passed in life or, or if they're just not around. Um, but the unfortunate thing is, is even with social media, it's hard to find some of them because they're not the, they're not the attention getters. Right. So they don't, they don't want to be necessarily found in that respect, but I'd love if I could find some of them because, um, yeah, their souls are just so beautiful. Um, so thank you for sharing those two stories. Um, so now let's just pivot a, a little bit, if you don't mind, um, yeah. you know, because they, it, I, it sounds like you had a, a rich, you know, educational experience, whether it was positive or negative or, or, you know, effective or ineffective. Oh, and I forgot, I had to defend the teachers real quickly in one respect, because, you know, like when, when you were saying like, you know, they don't know their stuff, which <laughs> I, I think is so funny because you're right, that, that, that ends up being the case. Sometimes it's, it's systematic, right? Because their administrators like throw stuff on them or they change the curricula or, or they don't have the hours. Because the one thing that people don't realize is that teachers have to plan 
or they have to spend a lot of time actually, you know, doing their craft, uh, not just jumping in front of people and actually teaching, but they actually have to spend, and the, and, the, and the things change. Like, I remember very clearly, you know, every time I would teach, I would get the most stupid things, you know, told to me to teach to the kids. And then I'm like, you expect me to figure that out, you know, in how much time? And, you know, and then the other thing that I, I found very interesting is, um, which you may have not gotten to see, but I'm sure you're, 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 you're realizing more and more, is when I taught uh, somewhere in the neighborhood, like 300 college students at one point, Mm -hmm. It was like, I want to give them all individual attention, but I can't like, this is 300 kids. Yeah. Um, and so trying to give them, and when I would jump in front of a classroom, I would try to eyeball them all like individually yeah. because I wanted to make sure even if the class was 60 or 90 kids, I wanted them all to know that I actually cared about each and every one. But then every time the uh, like essays came in, you know, or, or like the finals and I had to grade these, you know, uh, you know, they spent a lot of time, right? You know, doing those, those papers or, 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 or doing the midterms or, or finals. And it's like, I could only give them 15 minutes, you know, each. And then, and, and so I felt incredibly, incredibly guilty, but on their side, I could see them thinking, wow, he sucks. Like he, 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 he doesn't care. And, and, you know, he's not, and, and I would also get, uh, and I'm sorry to be long winded about this, but they would, they would actually plead for the grades. They, you know, <laughs> They, they would basically say, uh, Professor Na, would you be able to change that A minus into an A? Because I, I really, you know, a scholarship, I, I really depend on the scholarship. And I'm just kind of like, Jesus, I can, now you're giving me a guilt trip about some scholarship, you know, and, and, you know, and you didn't even show up for class, you know? Yeah. And, and so anyway, uh, I, I'm sorry, I, I had to kind of just uh, give the, 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 the teacher or the professor uh, perspective on that because, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I, I think I wish, to be honest, uh, more people had the chance to teach because I, I, it was one of the richest experiences that I've had um, to understand. And that's maybe why I appreciate those teachers more. Um, mm -hmm. Like I appreciate waiters, you know, because I did that for a little while. Yeah. I appreciate, you know, people who wash cars. I did that for a while. And, yeah. and, and you know, it just, it just helps you empathize, but I'm sorry. In terms of the pivoting. Um, so now you've had these good experiences and you, you've done this micro credentialing that you talked about, which I think is very fascinating. I actually, when I saw your, your LinkedIn profile, I was like, that is cool. That is brilliant. Like she's, I can't tell if she went to Cornell or if she went to NYU or if she went to this or that, because you have every single brand name, you know, that you did these micro credentials on. Right. And uh, I find that interesting with LinkedIn because I did the same thing <laughs> with a couple <laughs> different other programs, but uh, moving forward for, for like your, the rest of your path, like, you know, we, we got to meet each other because of a, a program, one of the most famous, you know, accelerator programs, YC, uh, how do you find, uh, um, that you enrich yourself, uh, I guess with this lifelong learning kind of thing where, where you're moving forward, because it sounds like you're the type of person who will, will continue to go and find things you want to learn. And, you know, we met again because you asked questions on a forum. So, uh, so what do you, what do you think are some things that, that people, um, let's call it Jen Hong secrets. So <laughs> like, what are your educational, uh, uh, tips and, and, and thoughts about like, uh, helping yourself, I guess, as a, a younger, you know, very, uh, I wouldn't call it hungry, but very, uh, uh, you know, you, you want to improve yourself every day. 
Yeah, uh, I think I think that there we are kind of a part of a lucky generation that um, has access to the benefit, you know, that you know that is benefiting from the decentralization and democratization of education tech. So like um, education in general. So Udemy, um, Coursera, right? Um, all those coding schools where education for free from grade school, uh, you kind of learn uh, and, and uh, you know, very, I mean, we're kind of fortunate to, to, to kind of live in an era where we're able to access that globally, right? So <clears throat> it is getting there, it's becoming less exclusive and elusive, so to speak. So I think just, just in terms of staying curious, like nobody should ever be, you know, nobody, nobody can possibly complain that they don't have access to those tools because they're free and online. Uh, I think that in terms of learning, um, beyond just classes, I think um, sometimes, you know, you can't really find, um, but the best way to learn is by doing, right? So if you learn about marketing or if you're curious about it, yeah, you can take a course, but until you actually like apply it in a real life situation, it doesn't stick, right? So, but you can't really expect that from your job. Like I can't expect my job to give me opportunities to, you know, try out blockchain, you know, creating a blockchain model because they had nothing to do with blockchain or coding because my job didn't, I was an engineer, I was not an engineer. Um, so, so you can't really kind of do that. So like, you know, another way to kind of take a, a, a step further is to, is by creating opportunities to actually you know, be in that position to apply that in your real life. And that's why uh, I volunteered to, I signed up to be like a board member at a small grassroots like nonprofit because smaller nonprofits, uh, bigger nonprofits would not have me as a board member because it requires $100,000 donation and all this, all this kind of uh, criteria. But, you know, smaller ones are there, they kind of need that labor, people who are willing to do the work. And you're basically a board member. You're running it. You're helping. You're helping them run an entire organization. So, um, you want to work on marketing strategy. Help them with that. Go ahead. You want to help them like with financials. Like you can do that as well. Like it's just kind of they, they they're thankful for whatever you know. However, you know whatever you can contribute. So, I think like creating opportunities like that for yourself so that you are. Um, you are kind of learning that and really becoming that person and being able to use that knowledge to actually, you know, you know, push yourself um, to be, uh, to re reach that next level. But also, I mean, they are great resume builders and people can see that and you will, uh, you know, there's always a difference between when I talk to somebody who's taken a couple classes and have some knowledge in the background, in the back, you know, in the back of their mind versus somebody who's actually, tried it, understand the methodologies, understand the concepts, and understand how that you actually materialize or actualize those. So, you know, that, that there's a difference. So I think just kind of, you know, if you're really, uh, just kind of really making sure that you make your education tangible and make the most of it by finding different ways to apply it in your life. That's great advice. That's actually um, something unexpected. Um... That, that the idea of actually joining a nonprofit that 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 that's really really cool. Um, 
Well, I, I, I'll be honest, I really enjoyed this and, and I hate to have to uh, get to our last segment of, of the show, which is called Five Cues, where okay. a good friend of mine um, relabeled that I used to call it lightning round, but um, I, don't, I don't expect people to, to give short answers anymore, but it's up to you. Um, so we, we, we basically ask five questions here at the end and you, know, uh, you can give a short to long answer, it's completely up to you. Um, and uh, yeah, if you don't mind just sharing some of your thoughts about these kind of not necessarily uh, education related questions, but uh, yeah, we'll hopefully get to know you even more. Um, but uh, so far it's been wonderful. So first question, if you don't mind. So who's your hero? Uh, I think it's my mom. Uh, I've asked, I've been asked this question a couple of times. Um, and, uh, obviously there are a lot of people I admire, but my mom is just someone just so incredible. She had two very challenging kids. <laughs> We're not easy to raise. And, and she had a full-time job. She's also, she's an educator as well on top of, she's, she's actually in the education sector. And, uh, on top of that, she got her PhD. I have no idea how she found time to do all of it while feeding us. She used to like come home when I was younger because, you know, she actually wouldn't like miss her lunch because when I was a kid, you know, I would like be with a nanny and I would just, just cry and just throw, you know, tantrums because I wanted my mom to be there when I was eating for some very specific need. Uh, so she just, she would like drive home just to like watch me eat <laughs> for like 20 minutes and drive back. And she would just eat like, you know, dollar cup noodles or whatever, just really quick just, to, just because she didn't have time anymore. And, and she did that without ever complaining. I never knew about it and just very calm and collected. Um, and, you know, another thing that I really respect her for is instead of trying to get me to grow up in a certain way, like kind of raise me in a certain way, she actually gave me choices. And that really taught me a lot. Like she would be like, when I was in eighth grade, I didn't like my school. And she's like, where do you want to go? Like, what do you want to do? Why don't you do your research? You tell me. So I am very used to making a lot of decisions on my own. And it just taught me a lot. And I really like her teaching style. So mm. that's how she taught me. So, uh, so I really respect her for that. And, um, you know, the fact that she's such a successful uh, person while being probably a great mom. Uh, not probably great mom. Um, <laughs> both of us, yeah. Awesome, awesome. Um, so related, but not necessarily the same question. Um, the next one is about uh, a role model for society. Obviously, in terms of your mom as a role model, that would be great for everybody. But are there any other individuals you can think of out there that um, we could look up to and say, "Hey, this this you know individual is absolutely wonderful." Yeah, I think I think. A lot of people who are successful, obviously, and they share share about their failures publicly um, to share their journey. I, I think those are people are role models because you know you're in the startup life, so you hear that a lot, right? Like people kind of, I think they're called like entrepreneurs, so like they they want to be entrepreneurs, but and they kind of follow that glamour or like I want to be like Mark Zuckerberg and be a billionaire, you know, within like a year of starting something. But most of the time, it's not that glamorous, right? And it just looks like it once you once you get there. But there's a lot of things that, that happen in between that no, you know, people don't really know about. And I, I love Steve Jobs because he did a commencement speech at Stanford, I think like 2007 or 10 or something like that. I listen to that video at least a couple times a year because 
if you haven't like seen it, like I highly recommend it because he just shares about like three areas where he considers like, you know, he had, you know, uh, huge failures in and how that kind of really shaped his success. And I, I just, I admire that so much. I know he's kind of a quirky character, but uh, <laughs> really, really admire that. Um, Samuel L. Jackson, the actor, like he wasn't successful until he was like 48, like he was a heroin addict um, until then. And um, people who kind of like share their struggles like that, I, I always think they're, they're great people. I mean, role models for society, um, setting that expectations and giving people hope. That's really cool, uh, great answer. Um, Third question is an important question for me, and I'm not trying to put pressure on you, but it's, I think it's an important one for me because I think it's important for everybody else. Uh, the question relates with uh, some of our tougher times in life, you know, like kind of, you know, similar question too in terms of your answer, but, but maybe you have some good secrets you can share with all of us. Um, you know, when you had hard times, um, either as a student or as a employee or team member of a company, or maybe even now as an entrepreneur, what, what, what do you dial back on or what do you do to help yourself get through those times? Because, you know, it's hard being uh, alone sometimes, right? You know, being the solo entrepreneur or maybe the solo uh, student, you know, who, who might be, like you said, rebellious, or whatever the case may be. <laughs> so so what, what did you do when you got frustrated or, or how did you get through those times? I mean, I think when I was younger, I, I would kind of throw tantrums. <laughs> I was back <laughing laughs> up. But um, as I got older, you know, to be honest, I, you know, got a therapist of a pretty young age, like when I was 19 or 20. Uh, and I was, I'm very vocal about that because I really think that there is this stigma to it. That's really dangerous. Um, you, you need a, you need a healthy mental health. You need a, like a solid and, and, and robust like mental health routine because we all live in our heads, our own heads, right? We're always just kind of talking to ourselves. If you think about it, especially if you're an ambitious, driven, curious, whatever person, your mind is going at hundred miles an hour. And sometimes you don't even realize you're stressed. So especially when you're dealing with tough times, I personally find it even more difficult to talk about it with people who care about me a lot in a weird way. Like I can't talk to my family about it. I just shut down um, because I don't want to worry them or it just feels too real when you talk to people that, you know, your friends and family. So having a therapist who are more objective, who can help you think things through out loud, that a safe outlet is so, so incredibly helpful in managing my stress and anxiety. And, um, you know, I also like have this like diet diary routine, like a three page um, routine, you know, where I always write minimum like three pages. I learned it from somebody else. Uh, and I have this affirmation journal where each morning I'll kind of say something nice or like something motivating. Um, and just that's a one liner that I write. So they're, I mean, they sound kind of like, uh, like this is a help self help kind of stuff, but that is like really, uh, it, it is really helpful. I, I think not to go on this rant about it. If you're struggling, there's a book called, um, when things fall apart, <laughs> it sounds okay. So my what, funny story, my friend sent me this book, uh, because I was having such a hard time at work right before I left New York and 
I was just so miserable and it was just showing like every time somebody I, I would meet up with a friend it was clear that I was just unhappy and he sent me that book and it, it just happened to arrive on Valentine's Day and that's when Amazon was like sending out gifts to random customers and I thought like Amazon sent me a self-help book because I was single on Valentine's Day <laughs> and I was so mad like, how dare you like I was like writing an email like I was just like so beyond furious and then I like there was like a little note and I saw that it was my friend uh, from my friend Jeremy <laughs> and this book is um from like written in the 90s but basically this book talks about you know she's a Buddhist so there's a lot of reference to that but like basically this talks about how, where human sufferings come from so when you're suffering when you have a tough time like where does that actually come from right obviously and we normally think external circumstances but that's not really true like we are all so afraid of being groundless, meaning that we want security, we want job security, we want marriage, because marriage is probably born out of the sense of security it gives you to have somebody there, family, people, your support system, permanent. But if you really think about it, nothing is ever that permanent. And, and it's really dark if you think about that. If something's going great, guess what? That's gonna go away sometimes at some point, right? Because you can't just have golden ears for the rest of your life. So it kind of really talks about the source of suffering and, um, and, and, and our tendencies to, to really hold on to things, grab on to things that make us even more miserable. Um, and I read that book and it just helped me so much. Every time I was just really lonely or just really stressed, I just felt like really, you know, things were happening and I just didn't, you know, it's just emotionally, just emotional turbulence. Uh, it, that, that concept really kind of, um, in a weird way, grounded me. Uh, so that's what I would recommend, but yeah, um, that kind of concept. And if you, if you kind of find a philosophy um, around life and mental health and your own emotional well-being, um, I think that's the smart thing to do um, just in general, especially, especially if you're you know, pursuing an entrepreneur kind of like route. That, that, that has got to be up there as one of the most amazing answers to number three. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, three-tiered end with the bang you know uh you know with a great book that I, i've never heard of and i'm sure a lot of other people out there have not so thank you for that uh, as well um the next two questions are i think a little simpler um might be a little bit easier uh so the fourth question i like to ask people is what your favorite food or favorite dishes uh, i mean is it korean or is it something else Oh, I love pasta. Like anyone who knows me knows how much I love pasta, but I cut that out recently to try and eat healthier. And I love Japanese. Like there's not a single dish and then like in the Japanese cuisine that I dislike. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, that's kind of my favorite, but I've been trying to eat healthy. Um, and I kind of been experimenting with like different recipes. So, uh, uh, you know, starting to kind of explore a little bit more. But you know, like living in New York just, or anywhere, you know, urban cities like that, it just spoiled me so much because there's not a, like I, I would never eat the same cuisine like more than once per week. Right. It's just like not a thing that I did. <laughs> <laughs> Australia, I feel like I'm, I'm in Sydney right now and a little bit, you know, restricted. And every time I go to Korea, it's just like all Korean food all the time. And it's just like, so that's like a huge change. Like I don't know how to adjust to that. Uh, so anyways, yeah. Interesting. Um, uh, the last question, um, I actually, I'm going to, uh, mold it because, uh, what you, 
for some reason it just popped into my head, but I usually ask people like what makes you unique or if there's an interesting fact about yourself. But I think your, your parents are in Korea, is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. So I basically grew up without them for a few years in California and live with my aunt. And then I basically, what they call homestays. Yeah. So like somebody like houses you, gives you a room and basically takes care of you as a foster parent, so to speak, where they get paid. Yeah to do that um and yeah so i mean again like that was my decision i wanted to do that my parents respected that so um so let me ask uh why did you choose new york i know it's it's a very attractive uh location for a lot of people who want an urban environment um but personally i had a rough time there frankly and um you know you're 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 obviously not in New York right now, or rather maybe the world doesn't know. We don't need to tell them where you're at right now. But um, so you're like, yeah, why New York? I'm just curious, like wh wh why, why did you choose that as your destination, I guess, um, in recent years? Yeah, you asked me, I, I never wanted to move to New York. I was such a Cali girl. Um, and you know, my voice, like, you know, my <clears throat> voice was a lot like higher. <laughs> before when I was younger and less like raspy and um you know I, I once I got into Berkeley and I wanted to go to Berkeley it's like I'm you know I want to stay in California uh and I got into NYU as well and my dad really wanted to, it was actually really funny because my mom wanted me to go to Berkeley my dad wanted me to go to NYU and they had this like war going on so like I'll come home and then like my dad would have like a printed out article that's like stapled and highlighted and stuff <laughs> But like NYU, the mom will like put like different Berkeley stuff on my desk. Like it was so ridiculous. And then my mom was like, oh, you can, you can get a car, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll like, you know, because I know you, you, you might want freedom. That's why you were kind of considering New York because I didn't want to learn how to drive. And uh, my dad was like, well, if you, you know, if you go to New York, like, you know, they were literally trying to bribe me. That's my point. And it was just found that so weird. But I ended up choosing NYU because I did agree with my dad. He was like, you know, you, you grew up internationally and you want to kind of be in the worst days, you know, you know, be in a melting pot, have that experience in a fast paced environment. You, you should move to New York because even if you go to Berkeley, guess what? You're going to fl fly out to New York to get a job. Cause back then San Francisco wasn't as of a huge startup hub. So, uh, it was, and I agree with that. And I was really scared when I moved, but I did. And I'm so glad I did because if you can survive in New York, you really can't survive anywhere because you never sleep. People are rude. You need to be on guard, on high alert at all times. Like you, you will survive anywhere else in the world. Yeah. So agree. So agree. Uh, yeah. In the two years that I was there, um, I've never uh, been attacked. Uh, more in my entire life. Uh, I've never felt so angry uh, in my entire life. I, um, you know, everybody's so impersonal, like it's always next, 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 you know, uh, at every, every place you go, you know, there's no customer service, or at least that's what I remember. Yet, what you just talked about, too, about being international, what your dad, you know, um, you know, wisely said, it's a very international city, right? There's yeah. uh, cultures of all types there, and you get to see, you know, how people struggle um, from multiple vantage points. And uh, yeah, it's such a vibrant city. Love to visit. I'll be honest. I love to visit. I just, I, I don't think I could live there. So I mean, you know, kudos to you. <laughs> how old were you when you were living there? 
Uh, let's see. It was uh, 98 to 2001. So that was like, you know, literally 20 years ago. So I was like in my late 20s, early 30s. Okay. Yeah. New York is really fun. Um, it's, it, New York is a lonely city. Yeah. So if you move there without like, I went to NYU and yeah. if you go to NYU, there's no real reason to leave. So like everyone stays. So like we have a <laughs> you know, friend group and everything like network, which was so grateful. But if you move from somewhere else and you're a transplant in New York city, it is hard. It is. It is, it is. really hard. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and you know, you saying surviving uh, resonates because when we moved there, um, the first thing that happened was we needed obviously an apartment, but in order to get an apartment, you needed utilities. Like you need a history in a utility. It's like, well, how do I get history and utilities if I don't have an apartment? And so, you know, and then basically it was like, you, when you tried to prove yourself, it was like they were testing you like right and left because fraud occurs there a lot from what, what, yeah. what I learned. And so they, they don't trust you, no one trusts you. And so you, you had, we literally had a hell of a time getting an apartment. So we ended up getting this uh, apartment with this Korean family in New Jersey yeah. in Fort Lee. And, you know, this family is like a gangster family of some sorts because we're not sure what they do, you know, but regardless, they had their attic basically yeah. available for us, which had carpet on the kitchen, you know, yeah. or, I mean, it was just like the worst place in the world, but it was our only choice. And, and you know, we, we just did it because we needed the housing, right? And, yeah. and uh, uh, but yeah, no, when you say if you can survive there, yeah, you have to figure out how to do things. Um, that you never had to figure out before. Yeah, you become a hustler. Exactly. You hustle, you gain a little attitude, like, <laughs> like you become self-confident because that's the only way to survive. Yeah. That, that is funny. No, that's a wonderful uh, thing to answer how I think to a certain degree it, do it does mold you and that makes you, I guess, unique in some respects. So thank you for sharing that. All right. Well, no, this, this has been one of the most enjoyable conversations I've had uh, on the show. So thank you very much for, for, you know, gracing us with your time. Um, your educational path is, is definitely a unique one, I would say, because not a lot of people get to go to the international school, but also on top of that, you went to the stateside school in California for a bit, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah. And then you're still kind of, I can see your trajectory moving forward is like, you know, you're going to just continue to take advantage of a lot of the other educational opportunities. So, um, so education, I don't think will stop in your life. Um, so indirectly, your mom has probably influenced you in some ways. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's still studying my, my dad and my mom, like stay up until like 4am trying to like read and stuff. So like, I think it's, if you're into it, you're into it, right? You're, it's a lifelong journey. You are a perfect uh, uh, guest. So thank you for, yeah, for thank your, you. Your, your answers. All right. Well, we'll have to close. But uh, oh, just in case, uh, sometimes I do uh, mention this for some of our guests when I remember. But uh, let's say somebody does want to get your perspective, uh, maybe, you know, for your second podcast or your second you know, interview. Um, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, is it LinkedIn? Is that the best location? Or, or what's the best way to reach you? Um, I think I'm happy to put my um, Levanter email on there uh, okay. as well as LinkedIn. Like if somebody wants to ask questions like that, um, happy to, you know, also engage directly. Okay. Sounds good. We'll, uh, we'll put that in the details for the show. And uh, yeah, um, if you haven't heard of Jen, you better watch out because she'll <laughs> come in, she'll take you down and, and give you attitude or New York attitude uh, before it. So um, 
yeah, honestly, it's been, it's been enjoyable. So thank you for your time here today. Yeah, thank you. It's been so fun. Thanks for joining us here on Educate. We sincerely appreciate you spending some time and listening to our show. Hopefully you enjoy and we would always appreciate a little review here at the bottom. And on top of that, if you don't mind, subscribe and hope uh, to have you listen to more great episodes we want to share with you, examining the focus of education. Thanks again. Look forward to seeing you back here on the show. Thank you.